0: Our This Week in XR podcast is sponsored by our friends at Zapper, the world's leading augmented reality platform and creative studio. With over 11 years of experience working with the world's biggest brands through Zapper Creative Studio. Zapper also has an award-winning web AR platform, Zapworks, that lets you create your own mobile AR magic. Finally, check out their Zap Box, the most affordable mixed reality headset on the planet. Start creating AR over at zap.works or talk to them about your next AR project at zapper.com. Good morning, everybody. I'm Charlie Fink. It's Friday, January 27th, 2023. It's This Week in XR with Ted Chilowitz and Roni Abovitz. Uh, Good morning, gentlemen. Morning. We have a, a great guest today, Michael Wolf. He's the CEO of Activate and the former COO, Ted, of your sister company uh, MTV.
1: Yes, one of the one of the uh, many little verticals that
0: I live across on a daily basis. They yeah. they consult with the biggest tech and media companies in the world, helping them uh, build new businesses and understand new technologies. So uh, he's uh, one of us. Uh, we'll have a great conversation with him in a few minutes. But uh, let's get to the news. But um, you know, really, it was for given what we've been dealing with, it's yeah. a relatively slow news week. There were yeah. two big financing events uh, to talk about, big in the olden days, I guess, when money was real money. Uh, there's a, a company called Gemba, and they are a VR training company in London. And this is a model we talked about a lot in 2020, Ted, during the pandemic. Yep. yep. Right. I mean, how are companies going to deal with being remote? And even today, companies are still asking, how do we reduce our carbon footprint? Can we be more virtually present? And uh, companies have arisen, in particular, Gemba, which has had a lot of success signing up blue chip Fortune 100 companies. And they provide headsets and they provide support and they provide guidance and they even now run classes Um you know, seminars where they can, where they bring in experts and companies from all over the world or or employees of companies all over the world participate for continuing education in things, esoteric things like supply chain, which plague almost every business. So Gemba, good on Gemba, raise some money uh, and uh, we will hear more from them, I think.
1: Yeah, it's Uh, another classic example of, of simulation use case and simulation behavior doing a study from these big companies on, you know, where can we do cost savings? Where can we do efficiency savings? And someone goes, you know, you can simulate all this and you don't actually have to do it in the real world and we can save money that way. And that's obviously become a a very powerful vertical that we have talked about almost ad nauseum. Like that's a real business inside our little world of XR. Over
0: and so, over and over again. so, Roni, here's a topic. I think you like this story. Uh, Dreamscape. We remember our friends at Dreamscape. They had a lot of common investors with Magic Leap, Disney, and, and so forth. Steven Spielberg was a prominent investor, and they were building location-based entertainment for VR. And they had a big deal with AMC, was one of their investors. I think AMC has built about five of these places. Dreamscape runs their flagship in Century City, and it is going just about the way that every Uh, location-based entertainment business goes, which is there's just a limited number of peak hours in the week and they have inflexible inventory. So, you know, math. Uh, (laughs) So uh, I don't know why there are so many companies. Sandbox somehow is defying math. We're going to have them in to explain how they Mm -hmm. do that. Um, But Dreamscape ran up against reality, right? So AMC theaters, you have to build a lot of these places to amortize the cost of new software, So AMC is built about six, and that looks like the number that there will be, Yeah. right? So it's a very special thing in very specific locations that's not going to spread out. So Walter Parks runs the company. He used to run um, Amblin for Steven Spielberg and produced a lot of movies with him, including uh, pictures like Gladiator. Uh, So he's a big, big Hollywood guy, but he's been running this company. And he diversified it into defense, Hiring, you know, a general in Washington to go, a retired general to go sell stimulation for them. They don't talk much about that business, but obviously, it's it's a line of business where people are buying simulation services.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And they've been working with the University of Arizona to take their game Alien Zoo, which was their first and best VR experience by far. I don't know if you have had a chance to do it, Roni, but it's it's a really good one. It's a Disney quality. VR experience which we really haven't seen very many of maybe the the first Ghostbusters thing that the void did uh was the other thing that came closest but uh you know not a business but they've said hey Alien Zoo let's go to Arizona and the School of Education and try and take Alien Zoo and turn it into a biology curriculum Mm -hmm. and it worked they developed a curriculum around it uh, and now they've got 20 million dollars and they're spinning it off So it's a great pivot story. You know, Walter Park's really smart guy, because I think a lot of entrepreneurs and investors would have been like, "Mm, location-based entertainment shouldn't be surprised. And uh, instead, Walter said, not so fast, because some of the things we learned along the way are super uh, leverageable. Uh, and, And here's proof of that. So uh, I, I don't know. But it, it, I just wanted to tell this story because I think it's so cool. And I, you know, admire Walter so much. We have to get him back on the show. I think this is a pretty big news, though. Uh, you know, and I think VR is dying to be in schools and should be part of education, but it needs to come with a curriculum. And so I think this is this is a, a great move in that direction.
1: Well, and this is another one of those things that I have a little personal vein of uh, attack on, because when I was at Fox, Now, many years ago, I was one of the earliest uh, sort of investor motivators that said Fox should be investing in this. The froth of the first wave of VR is important. We're going to learn from this. We're going to develop this. So we made a pretty significant investment. I spent a tremendous amount of time with Walter uh, and the team uh, looking at all different sort of forms and formulations of this. And just like any good producer, good producers know how to produce and (laughs) they will take what they've learned and they will keep sort of moving the chess pieces around until they can find something that works. And, you know, it's actually starting to work now. Um, so maybe my insights were actually... You know, <laughs> so, exactly well, I think it's I funny, it right? Idea. This company founded
0: by the entertainment business is actually yeah. going to it was actually use kind of good idea. for the military.
1: It took a long time, but it was a good idea. Yeah,
0: yeah. Okay, the final thing I want to talk about before we bring Michael in and uh, think big thoughts with him uh, is uh, about AI. And I mean, just you know, I, Buzzfeed, you know, mentions AI. They bump their pathetic, depressed stock up ten percent. And it just seems like everyone. And there are all sorts of different flavors of AI, you know, being released. It seems like every week. Uh, so I don't know. Is this the beginning? You think of the hype cycle for AI, or or is the world changing before? Brody, you've got to have some thoughts about
2: this. <laughs> let, let, let me let me let me frame it, uh, Charlie and Ted. So Alan Turing, right? He, you could argue, he creates an AI system. You know, the the first uh, computing system that that sort of uh, helped us unravel the the Nazi Enigma machine and win World War II. Um, and if you read his papers, he truly believed that the machine he was building, that first sort of computing machines they were building in, I think uh, Beckley Park, they were conscious. And and I think what's what's happened is like, oh, that's for math. That's for cryptography. And then you have things like, oh, Excel can do what a, you know, a room full of what they used to call computers. Like people like, actually a lot of women with like a, a pencil and the IBM computer at NASA, and then your Excel spreadsheet, it could add and subtract and do all these things that you used to have to do like box by box. So there's this evolution of artificial intelligence going on for decades. I think what's happening now is it's coming after writers. It's coming after painters. <laughs> It's coming after musicians like where we as human beings in our sort of I guess narcissistic arrogance that we're untouchable by the machines we're building using the skill and brains we have it can't come after that because that's like well a machine could do math and do engineering and all that so I'm weird because I've got both sides of the brain so I saw AI flow itself into all kinds of engineering computing but then you know the artists and the writers and poets like well it could never enter our sanctuary in the last year or two it's like come in there at full speed mm. it's like writing essays it's writing novels it's i mean not, they're not all great yet but if you poo poo it for 22 23 and don't think that it's just gonna zoom past us like there's no human on the planet that could like add numbers as fast as Excel spreadsheets sure um i think that that's so i think we don't, we should totally separate it for, for the listeners here ai is not like a fad like crypto or anything else you're thinking this is a force of nature that started before Alan Turing with like the Babbage machine. It is the underlying force of computing and with all kinds of new layers of algorithms that it's our collective intelligence. Everything we've ever created and made, we're feeding into it. Like one of my friends put up this beautiful photograph and he said, here's a sunrise that I could take a picture of and an AI never do. And I'm like, no you just fed that photo into the ai right. and about five minutes later i sent him something that like the ai system i'm playing with made like 50 new versions of it so like we're kind of inside this mirrored world that we've created and like whatever we do anything we've ever made and, and continue to make unless you're living in the woods with a tinfoil hat and off the grid completely it is feeding this enormously intelligent machine that we're building That. You know, it doesn't have our intelligence the way we described it in the same way that a jet does not fly like a bird. But it, it is this like, and by the way, it's not a single thing. I think people think like AI is this one thing. No, it's this whole plethora, whole ecosystem of things. So I, I think the point to make is it is absolutely not a fad. It is, this, you know, any investor, any company, this thing is coming everywhere at an incredible speed and we have no real idea what will do society we're not prepared for that yet anyway that was my little I,
1: I do like your point that's a very interesting point that I will actually be using now in some of my meetings throughout the day about when when compute deals with the dull stuff that no one wants to deal with like adding up numbers really fast and running sort of accounting you know spreadsheet protocols and stuff everybody's fine with it But when it starts to sneak into the cool shit, right, like making movies, making videos, creating art, creating literature, suddenly that's a big challenge, right? That's a big problem, psychologically a big problem, because humans want to do cool stuff. And they're more than happy to let the dull, boring stuff be handled by the machines, right? And now we're starting to learn that, guess what? Machines can kind of do all of that stuff. And maybe we uh, need to put on the borders.
2: Like, the cool stuff that we want to do that give us, gives us value in the world, it's going to call into question our place and our value in the world. Like, let, let's, say, let's say 2030, an AI system could produce like every novel in like, like one second yeah. and they're good and they're not just regurgitating what was what if they're good novels and every novel you need for the next 20 years is written in one second like what's what's that going to do to a writer like we have to carve a place for us and it's forcing like what is our role as people on the planet it was a little bit zen for for a friday but well I, I think you
0: have to think about the implications of of an artist asking the questions right? Being asking questions and know how to manage these models is go- going to become the art form.
2: Yeah, so, we're, Charlie, we're surfing 50 foot waves right now with AI. The thing I don't know is what are we going to do when the waves are 5,000 feet and, and moving at Mach 3. Like, I'll just tell you guys one quick story. A friend of mine who's really big at the AI, he unleashed the thing he built upon himself that usually is supporting millions of users, he just gave it to himself for like a weekend. And he just like swam in that like raging river. And I think he almost lost his mind. <laughs> and he was tasting like what that raw power is gonna feel like in, in a few years from now. And he was like, he just felt like he was drowning in this ocean of everything. And it was, I thought it was a cautionary tale. Like we have got to manage this stuff.
1: Well, I was just thinking about the player piano, right? You know, back in the day, right? We're- People learn to play piano and then some kind of smart, clever guy said, you know, we can put this thing with little pins on it and it'll actually control the, the the keys and it'll play itself. And the guy doesn't have to sit in front of the piano and play the same song all day long. Wow. Okay. That's kind of amazing, right? But nobody said, oh my God, uh, like the player piano is going to kind of like be the down, downfall of all creativity in
2: society. Oh, no, no let, let me challenge you for a second. You know, you're going to be in a meeting with, with all your friends at Paramount. Yeah. yeah. And what if in a few years from now, they're looking for a composer for a film and composer X wants a million dollars going to take six months and then composer Y took three seconds to make an amazing orchestration that other composers and AI, and it's really good and it sounds like it was recorded at Abbey Road, and then the head of Paramount could say hey, can you add some more horns here and like three seconds later it's done.
1: Well, and that's a reality today. Like we do that today, right? I mean, for TV shows and things that don't have the budget to actually hire a real orchestra to do a score, they use synthesizers, and they use one guy sitting in a room for a couple of hours to create the score. So we use a version of this all the time, but there's always some degree of human interaction, some degree of humanity sort of connected to it. And what you're sort of saying is that that the floodgates are getting to a point where mm-hmm. the human interaction point, is starting to become irrelevant to the equation. And
2: that, I think, scares a lot of people. I hate to say that, yes. And it is scary. And we got maybe on another show we'll talk about.
0: Yeah, we need know. to bring in some AI experts. AI to experts. Yeah. That'd be a fun show. All right, guys. Well, let's bring in Michael uh, and see what he has to say about this and
1: other topics. Sounds good. Awesome.
0: Michael, welcome and thanks for coming on the show. I don't know if you've met Ted and Roni before, uh, but I have been uh, singing your praises and talking specifically about some of the things you've been saying uh, at Davos this week. You gave some great interviews. So, uh, anyway, uh, nice.
3: Everybody knows Ted and Roni, so uh, <laughs> no introduction needed. And it's really great to join you.
0: Great. Well, thanks. Thanks for coming on. We were um, at the beginning of the show. We were talking about AI and it, right. you know it's sort of like we've swapped metaverse for ai so last year was the year of the metaverse this year is going to be the year of ai and just crazy things are all happening at once there's a tremendous amount of information and any company i was joking about buzzfeed uh, that says the word chat gpt gets to bump their stock up
3: um well it's it's not it's not it's not the first time it's all the buzzwords <laughs> the buzzwords in the past were were words like like viral. Um, anybody anybody talked about about viral, or they talked about about programmatic. Any any of those terms. Um, I think that what's what's fascinating is that ChatGPT is on the minds of many people um, in a lot of the places uh, I've been re- recently. ChatGPT is on people's minds, but there's some other topics that are that are more are important, and, and one of them is the metaverse. Uh, I think that that one of the things that's keeping a lot of technology CEOs uh, awake at night is the role of China and um, and how what's happening in China is going to to shape their business. Um, and so, and I think the second thing is metaverse because they're suddenly realizing that that video gaming, and, um, and all the activities surrounding it are taking more and more of the time of, of, of their users.
0: Um, are video games uh, playing a big part of the entertainment media companies' strategies now?
3: I, 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 the, the entertainment and media companies, in many cases, are, in, in a lot of ways, they're in a different lane on, on video games. I think that, that what's most important is that the video game companies are, are taking more and more of consumers time. We have people who, um, who are spending in a lot of cases up to 40 hours a week in video games, a level of engagement that we, that we haven't seen before. We do have some of the companies, we have Netflix getting into the video games, but if business, but if you look across the board, we believe that, practically every major video game company in the next couple of years will be owned by one of the tech platforms. Mm -hmm. And the reason is that the large amount of activity that is taking a large amount of technology activity that is taking place, technology and media time inside of games. And um, and it's um, among the areas where uh, the tech companies haven't had that much of a reach. However, Every one of them is building up their stack in the gaming business.
1: So so Michael, here's here's a perspective for someone that works at a big quote unquote traditional media company that you used to work for. We we've had the same same crossover at some point in our life, um, although the name has changed now. Um so um I have an interesting perspective. I'm curious if you agree with it or have a, a slightly different perspective, that traditional media companies have challenges and difficulties with getting in and sustaining an effort in video gaming because of the risk-reward risk dynamics of how video games are created, the spend, the time and energy that it takes to do it, and the, the hit versus miss is even more severe than the traditional entertainment uh, sphere where we know how much to spend, we know how many things roughly are gonna miss and how many hits are gonna take to make up for that and create profit. Where video games are even more skewed toward the misses are plenty, m- way more than traditional media. But the hits can be so enormous that they can make up. But it's hard to get to that to that chasm. I'm curious if you agree, disagree, have a different sense of it.
3: Yeah, you're 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 correct. I mean, the 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 um, video games require a different set of skills. The um, and it is not the same system of people who know how to produce video and write. This is, this is an entirely group, different group of, of, of creators. Um, and in addition to that, there's, there's, no, um, there's no easy path to success. Interestingly enough, the, the big video game companies in the U.S. have had very little um, experience in producing mobile games. So, um, so it's why you see some of the smart acquisitions, take to um, some of its, its deals recently, uh, some of the other companies in terms of, of their deals have been about merging or buying uh, m- buying video game, mobile game companies. So I think coming back to your point, yes, the, the, the major media companies have not had a sustained effort, and yet video games are going to be more and more important to their world. And all you have to do is look at the hits and flops nature of the business. So you can have an opening weekend of Red Dead Redemption and it's $800 million. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the. Right, that just happened with Call of Duty. Yes. And so, uh, so you, you over and over again, you see this in the entertainment companies so far haven't really, they, they, they haven't really been in this business.
1: Yeah, we're trying. Uh, We're all, we're all, you know, most of, most of the time, the big entertainment companies, including us, use a licensing uh, model to generate income and lower risk threshold. Uh, But, you know, I'm one of the folks that say, we should take more risk here. If we get it right, we can play in this game successfully. And it's an interesting sort of paradigm that we're, that we're dancing around right now.
3: Yeah, I mean, the likely, the likelihood that translating great hits from television or films into video games there that's that's a path that um, that's a proven path yeah i mean look at look at the games that were created around walking dead um, so um so from an outsider's point of view your company would be smart to think about how do you build up those teams and how do you take that risk
1: yeah
3: we
0: agree it it seems like and, and i know Roni, you've given a lot of thought to this what we're moving toward in, in in my view anyway, uh, is this idea, Brett Leonard said it on this show recently, of story worlding. You know, so that's what Star Wars has turned into, right? It is a story world. You can tell many different stories in many different times in this uh, world that was essentially built up around this film franchise. But now you can take things like Among Us, right, and put a story inside of Among Us, uh, that might not be a, a great example because it's hard, uh, that may be harder to expand than um, Walking Dead because, uh, you know, Walking Dead has had such persistence in mainstream uh, entertainment. But, but it seems like that it is as equally likely today that a mega franchise will be generated by a game as it will by a movie.
1: Well, I- yeah, well I'll, I'll, I'll give a little shout out to Roni uh, before Michael kicks in. Uh, Roni created an amazing story world that very few people really got a chance to experience uh, called Dr. Gorbots. And I will continue to try and find ways to force people to play it on a Magic Leap One because it is remarkable in so many ways uh, as a full game experience in mixed reality and a full complete story arc with very mature, very, very evolved characters. So good on you, Roni.
3: Yeah, the the, the the point of story worlding it's it's the, the the large franchises have and with with many extensions have um, have been part of Hollywood entertainment companies for, for many years. The part that is is new is that is that up until now we've told we've told consumers, we've told people what this their story is, and they think the extent to which they can more and more not just choose their own adventure, but make their own way and be part of it is different. And it's why um, I, I'm so upbeat about Metaverse not just because of of the environment that you create, but the fact that people can contribute to it and they can be part of creating their own stories. they can be they can create the the arc of those stories. I don't believe I'm not enthusiastic because of. AR and VR, um, I I, I think there's going to be an upward limit in terms of the number of VR headsets will be sold. Um, But I do believe that the amount of time people will spend in virtual worlds will increase. And it's one of the reasons when everyone talks about Metaverse um, and talks about it being something far away, way far off, we look at it and see, you've got 300 million people already spending a great deal of time in virtual worlds, and um, and you know, in between when you look between Roblox, Minecraft, Fortnite, uh, World of Warcraft, you have a significant number of people plus three hundred million plus, and on average, you're spending ten hours a, a, a on average ten hours a month. That that's extraordinary.
2: But Michael, um, question: Do you think the word metaverse has become Contorted and stretched to effectively mean almost any number of things right now, because I've I've had this discussion with a few people. um, And do you think like the entertainment world's like, go get me some metaverse, like go run to the store, give me a a box of milk, like the CL is like, I need some metaverse right now because I read about it in you know Variety or give me give me that metaverse thing, and then and then the team is running around like a headless chicken. They probably hire you or or a BCG (laughs) or, or something. And get us a metaverse and it's like, I don't know what it is. So they show up with like, here, go do a deal with Roblox. You got your metaverse. And it's like, okay, box check. Now what I have to worry about. Do you think that's what's going on? Or do you think people are actually thinking deeply? I know way too much about this object, but do you think people are thinking deeply about what the heck this thing really is? What does it mean? How is it not just what we've been doing for the last 20 years and and calling that a different name? What is that new thing coming like in your in your world, how many people care about the new thing, or it's like the urgency to just check the box that I got my boss the metaverse and move on?
3: Um, I I I think that they're they're looking at this more seriously. Uh, the analogy I would make was if we looked at 15 years ago, every company had to appoint a chief digital officer, and yeah. and yet digital and it was almost like digital is something off, far off, or companies said like gonna have to have a chief innovation officer. Um, the reality is is that that many companies in the technology, internet, and media business recognize that um, virtual worlds, that immersive activities are going to be a a very big part of their business, especially when we think about how many of the pretty much all digital behavior and daily activities that some way or another are going to take place inside of Large-scale virtual virtual games, and um, and that and and so and many of them are already taking place. The really, it comes down to like, what do you define the metaverse as? And the definition is all over the place. There are people who talk about Web three and NFTs, and um, the, the, we look at this very simply as metaverse is a consumer layer, and um, and we're going to see it on top of everything, whether shared immersive experiences so everything from i can uh i can have an experience in rec room or i can be in a world of warcraft open game world but or i can be in nba 2k and um and i can be in a neighborhood and deal with my friends so i I think that that everybody understands where this is going there's some confusion like well, what are we talking about where is it going when is it going to happen
2: so, Michael, one one more add-on question. Um, I I had this very amazing fortune to work with Neil Stevenson, the guy that created the idea of the metaverse in Snow Crash. We talked about it for years when we when we worked together and I advised him on, on Lamina One. One of the features, the 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 idealist of metaverse believe in is this interoperability. Like I could be an NBA 2K, take my avatar and my stuff and walk into Call of Duty then walk into Fortnite and then walk into Angry Birds or whatever's going on through some kind of like passporting, portaling. The universal sign-in. The universal sign-in. And somehow my body moves from like whatever the game graphics are from one to the other. Do you, do you see that as actually happening? Because I, I see very little reason why the makers of these self-contained virtual worlds who are cash machines want someone to take the basketball player from 2K and move that into Call of Duty and take all the gear I got from Call of Duty to move that into Fortnite. I think they like have no <laughs> no desire to passport each other. I think there's idealists in Europe and and maybe you know Bay Area and some other places that are running around trying to get some capital. I'm not saying that's not what the metaverse should be, but I'm trying to figure out the economic in- incentive of the players who have the biggest wins like Microsoft with its ownership <clears throat> of Activision and how Epic is doing, why would they do this?
3: I, I, I don't think, I think that this idea of of uh, interoperability or some universal interoperability is a pipe dream. Um, that we believe that most of the interoperability between metaverse platforms is going to take place between third-party companies and applications. So you're you can see, so whether it's user identity, it's not going to be It's not going to be one platform's user identity. Can come from from multiples. In terms of payments, well, it's going to be the payments people we know about today. It's not going to be each company's payments. It's going to be um, it's it's going to be the banks, the credit card companies, it's PayPal, Um, econ social. Well, it's Discord. Uh, It's Discord. It's going VR chat, Alt Space VR. It's going to be like the ones we know of Facebook. So. Uh, I, I think that people talk about there's going to be governance and interoperability, um, not in my lifetime, or at least not in our lifetimes that that we're going to see. Because each one of them, it's the same thing. They want their apps, their 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 store, their advertising, and I don't think we're, this is going to happen soon. I think what we we see an established behavior today. We have hundreds of millions of people spending time in virtual worlds. They will move into other virtual worlds, but they probably won't take everything with them.
1: So, I so I mostly agree with both of you, with a with a slight different nuance that I think you will probably agree with me once I profess it here a little bit. Um, I us. believe you're both right about the way that companies work within their vertical, their profit zone, their deliverables to their customers and their and their shareholders. But there's another layer of what we now refer to as the metaverse, which is kind of the the piping the the sort of interoperability use cases. So it's kind of like a a good metaphor is there's lots of brands of cars these days, but they all effectively use the same gasoline from the gas stores to make those cars move around. And HTML in the sort of existing web is kind of like the gasoline in cars, right? It moves around. When you have electric cars, they all run off the same electricity. They may have different plugs, like a Tesla has got a different plug than a Chevy or a Ford, but it's the same electricity right? And the metaphor of kind of where I actually see the, meta, the metaverse working is a bit like in the professional world of Pixar creating USD, right? The universal scene descriptor that has now been massively adopted by our industry to allow people to interop across different use cases and provabilities, but still run their own businesses and their own profit centers. So I think that the, the utopian, like everything will get connected and you'll be able to move your game player from the Activision world into another world, into another world, is a pipe dream and a bit ridiculous. But the underlying code base of game engines being more and more cross-platform and use cases across the advancements of the internet, uh, essentially, what is the next HTML? We're at HTML 5, 6 now. What does HTML 8, 9, 10 look like that will allow this? I think that's actually the metaverse. I think that's what that we're talking about.
3: Yeah, Ted, I, I, I think we're we're totally swimming in the same lane here. It's today we've got uh, Unreal Engine, Unity. Um, these are the platforms upon which most games are being built today, uh, and that is the sort of common infrastructure and foundation. You want you want to see a similar analogy? We have we had platform war, wars wars in mobile, and now we end up with um, Android and iOS, and maybe it's point um Huawei's own platform but um so there that's that's absolutely the 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 foundation the plumbing the same the the user layer whether it's um the uh, social interactions or economy or virtual ownership uh, unlikely to cross cross over. One of the good examples of this is people talk about NFTs and they're very excited. They bought their board a yacht club or or they uh, they they have their NBA NBA Top Shot and they look at them and say these are going to be something I'm going to put into an environment. And it's not and it, it it's not clear that that's going to happen. First of all, gamers hate NFTs um, because they feel that they're just like cheat codes. Second of all. Uh, it's once again, none of these platforms is going to necessarily want you to put in your NFT that you bought from somebody else. I mean, some of the applications, maybe a sports trading card, something that's related towards prestige, but not being traded. So I, I think we're in agreement. Yeah. Plumbing, absolutely. Infrastructure, foundation, architecture, yes. The rest from the consumer layer, um, third party applications.
1: You're telling me I can't sneak my beanie baby into my Red Dead Redemption game. That's not going to happen. I'm very (laughs) (laughs)
3: disappointed.
0: You're not going to wear your Call of Duty fatigues into World of Warcraft. Exactly. Not (laughs) not any time. So, sorry. Go ahead. So, so I was going to change the subject slightly because I mentioned I had listened to uh, a couple of interviews that you gave from Davos and you were talking about the economy. Uh, You know, we're watching tech companies around us sort of cutting back I mean, 5%, 10%, but often in innovation areas that are, you know, pre-revenue, right? So Microsoft cut alt space loose. Uh, they never developed a virtual economy. There's virtually no way they can make money from it. Um, so, you know, they cut it loose. I mean, there's some talk about it existing in an enterprise uh, concept, but they fired everybody except for two people. Uh, so clearly they're done subsidizing uh vr spaces with no uh economy in them and i think that's if you look around that's kind of a theme uh right all the growth oriented moonshot stuff i think even probably hololens looks like it is on the ropes or at least something that's going to be massively downgraded in the amount of investment microsoft is ultimately willing to make i just think they have had a hard time selling it. Many of the industrial applications it does are handled more easily by micro displays, which you know cost a fraction, have no essential royalty, uh, which you have to pay to Microsoft Cloud to even use the Microsoft Hololens too. So uh, it just seems like even though. Um, There may not actually be a huge recession. We just saw fourth quarter economy numbers certainly doesn't look like a recession, Uh, but yet we still have a lot of tech companies suddenly running scared from things they were investing in, um, you know, with great fanfare (laughs) over the past three years. Um, So what, help us understand what's going on here.
3: Well, I mean, nothing's new in that uh, and that, Uh, somebody uses a moment like this there's that really horrible line that never let a good car never let a good crisis go to waste um in this case you can rob
0: Emanuel,
3: right exactly you can look (laughs) at a couple you can look at a couple things one of them is every one of these companies overshot every one of them overhired They they built up too much. So the the numbers and these that just have a top of my head, the the numbers don't necessarily show that these companies are entirely that they're in trouble or retrenching. We have. So, for example, Meta 2017, they had twenty five thousand employees. Twenty nineteen, they had fifty thousand employees. When they're done with their layoffs, they'll have seventy five thousand employees. They all overshot, they all overhired, they invested in a, in a number of, of areas. And this is a good moment to pull back and take and take stock of what's, what's gonna be there. There's no doubt they all need to continue to invest. The, um, the reality is, is that Facebook has, has been hurt by, by cross app IDs and by Apple eliminating them. And um, and it's it's the natural cadence in these tech businesses that nobody's nothing lasts forever. As um, aside Hololens, um, I, I'm not sure I I'm, I'm, I agree with you mainly because just a week ago I saw some of the latest applications that they're that they're creating, and I think they're very compelling. And um, and so I think that that um, I I would not be surprised if they're not, if, if they don't continue to invest in it. I I, I think that they're, they're pretty astounding.
1: But this is that natural pendulum swing, right? That we see over and over and over again Absolutely. in these arcs where they grow, they see opportunities, they feel like they have to invest to hold that opportunity and stake their claim in the sand. And what they realize is that they should have gone smaller, that they should have actually hired, you know, a small number of people to work on something rather than just trying to put a huge hammer on a muscle that's not ready to be exercised yet. Uh, and I think we just see it over and over and over again. I just wonder in the in the, in the the halls of meta, you know, are anybody saying, you know, you'd have been way, way better if you just hired 10 people to do this and let them kind of work on it organically and let it grow. Um, people, I, but I guess I, in today's world, it's hard to do that. It's just
3: hard. People get obsessed. You, you, here's one of the reasons. They get obsessed about the numbers. So they say uh, this company's investing $10 billion in reality. Well, but this other company's putting in 20 billion, suddenly everybody, this is race. And then you want to go out and hire people in reality. (laughs) If you look at some of the biggest successes, it's companies testing their way into success. It's, it's exactly what you're talking about. It's a small team. It's a team that moves very quickly. It's a team that can get stuff done versus at some massive industrial scale.
1: In our world, VR Chat has proven over and over again that with a small team and fairly modest resources, they're able to outflank and outpace the alt spaces and the Horizon and the Horizon Workrooms of the world over and not just once, but over and over and over again. Um, and it, you know, it's like, how come companies don't learn from that? It's interesting to me that they don't they don't realize that there's a the right way and a wrong way to grow, uh, especially in the innovation world. I would, I would, Michael, love to get your uh, opinion about
0: Meta uh, specifically, right? Meta, this all Metaverse mania. I mean, Matthew and, and Tim Sweeney and others, notwithstanding, uh, the whole Metaverse mania really started in October of '21 with the name change of Facebook to Meta. You know, that's what got everybody sort of into FOMO, thinking, you know, if I don't yes. have an email address or a website, I won't be relevant anymore. Right, exactly. So we set off a year of hysteria, um, and and it was a, a an unstable year, right? A post-pandemic year, a year in which Apple finally lowered the boom on Facebook for not sharing revenue, which Google does, and others do, but Facebook said no, and eventually they paid a very dear price. At the same time, <laughs> their you know uh, headset business is struggling, right? It's not growing the way it was growing. The first two years is, as you said, it may be that what we have here is a niche console business uh, and everybody who wants one has one, Um, you know, plans for PlayStation 2 notwithstanding, it's sort of not as important as this idea of a browser based 3D metaverse that we access with the 2D screens we're using right now. So Meta's kind of lost control of the conversation because it's no longer about VR. VR is nice to have in the metaverse, but not a requirement. So do you think all of this is going to cause Meta? I mean, they had a, a serious retrenchment as a well-publicized retrenchment, yet, as you point out, something that puts them way ahead of still 20. 20- 19 or 2020. So it's not as if they've um, significantly lowered their sales, but do you think they'll keep investing $10 billion a year? Do you think they'll, I mean, AR glasses, I mean, you know, even Apple uh, has now sort of pushed those off to later in this decade uh, as something where the technology there is, it's just a ways away. Um, So is Meta going to change this strategy? Do you think they'll flinch
3: uh, I, I, I think that they're going to, I doubt they're going to continue to invest at this level. And to a large extent, what they have is they've got a good quality headset for VR and they've got software around it and games. And uh, look, what are people, what's the most popular application? It's Beat Saber. Um, what we see is that the great majority of the people who buy headsets are still gamers and and therefore you're going to expect don't don't expect some we're expecting something like something short around 19 million headsets overall um to be sold globally this 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 year and that number and I'm talking about VR and that number probably it it'll, it'll have a nice growth about like a 20% growth over the next years um but but not necessarily anything that's going to totally change the world and and replace Meta's core. And so, um and it's also, if you look at in the tech media businesses overall, they've always tended towards a very, very small set of winners' take all. And it's not clear that that is going to be the case in terms of hardware. Everybody else is producing hardware. There's a new Sony headset that's coming out. Let's see what HTC has. I don't know what Apple's going to do with it. The, the, the speculation is it's it's more about augmented reality, which looks a great deal more practical. One of the ways it's, it's more practical is it's very hard pe- for people to spend more than 20, 30 minutes, uh, beyond 20, or 30 minutes in a VR headset. And so uh, I think Meta is going to continue to, to do this. I don't know. I, I just don't know how long... Um, they they continue to spend this kind of money against metaverse and versus spending the money against uh vr
1: can, can i ask a question about Michael's world, like what what he does for a living these days. Like what is the what is your day-to-day life like? Um, because I think we we've got again we this is what Charlie and I often do. We gloss over the obvious question. We go deep into the deep end of the pool and all our listeners anyway, are like, well, Michael
0: seemed to like jumping in with us. So
1: exactly like this guy Michael sounds really cool. Maybe we should know what he
0: actually does, right? So yeah. let me ask that I didn't in my introduction go far enough.
1: Apparently not not even for me.
3: Okay. So so <laughs> um uh, it's 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 quite simple which is i manage activate it's we're a management uh consulting firm for technology internet and media and entertainment companies um it's um and our firm works for many of the most important technology uh, internet media companies across all of the areas around growth and a lot of cases we're helping develop their roadmaps for growth and dealing with where they see looking around corners looking at how they can deploy their assets a great deal of our business is in practically helping them grow so it's uh areas like customer acquisition it's it's marketing it's pricing all of the things that they need to do and then finally it's helping them build new businesses so in a lot of cases, our clients come to us and say, I need to build a new business in streaming. Um, I, I want to get into a new connected fitness business. And, um, and based on our experience from a, from a marketing and customer connectivity perspective and technology, we can help them stand up their own teams to do that.
0: So it's funny, that's a great introduction for yourself. And uh, that's all the time we have.
3: (laughs) And I know you have, I'm I'm joking,
0: I know you have a hard stop. We could keep you here all day. I I can tell we are uh, of of one mind and could really unpeel some of these topics some more. So thank you.
3: We'll do it again. Charlie, Ronnie, uh, Ted, uh, it's always fun to have a fun conversation. We got to do it again sometime soon. All
0: right. That's our show, everybody. We'll see you next week i